Well, g'day guys, Will Ainsworth here, Head of Training and Growth at Open Negotiation. I'm really excited about um, today's podcast because I'm here with uh, good friend, Rick, Mr. Rick Rushton. Uh, Rick is a peak performance coach, a speaker on communication and a recognized authority on building growth cultures in elite business and sports organizations, albeit Collingwood. I'm not sure whether we call that a sporting organization. The best-selling author of The Power of Connection, How to Become a Master Communicator in Your Workplace, Your Headspace, and at Your Place, and would you believe it or not, a TEDx speaker. He draws on more than three decades of professional sales, management, and business ownership to provide time-tested content for audiences across Australasia and across the globe. Mr. Rick Rushton, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Will, thanks for that introduction. Pretty much word for word as I wrote it. So well done, mate. That's uh, Thank you very much. I I've just given everyone the facts that I can read now. So um, thanks, <laughs> thanks to the website. And thank you for mentioning that I wrote a book, mate, which is one more than I read in high school. If any of my HSC English teachers from 1984 are listening, uh, yeah, great. Uh, good afternoon. So, mate, uh, brings me to my first question, your comment there. How do you write a book if you've never read one? Um, I'm being a bit facetious. I, I, I never read much at high school. In fact, I was renowned for not reading at high school, Will. I would actually find out when book report day was due and then I'd ask a mate like you, have you read the book? Yeah, I have. Give me the context of it as quick as you can. Give me, the, give me like the movie trailer, not the whole movie. And then when I'd be asked to hand in my uh, book review, I would say, well, Mr. Ainsworth, I was so moved by the book, I, I, I couldn't put pen to paper. I just wanted to talk about it, if that's okay. And so I knew pretty quickly that um, I could get get by by being a little bit cheeky, a little bit uh, maybe humorous, Will, but also more importantly, I could almost talk my way in and out of most situations. So I'm not uh, physically that uh, imposing. I'm not uh, you know, the tallest or the best looking bloke you'll ever meet. But I used to go into situations thinking if there's someone else to communicate with, I'm pretty confident that I would be able to uh, influence them in the way that would be a win-win for both of us. And so that's kind of the premise of the book and how that came to be. And, and like anything that I've ever done in my life, if it's something I'm really committed to, passionate about I'll lock myself away and I'll write and there were some days Will, where I was getting up you know walking downstairs from our bedroom uh, into the, our kitchen coffee machine was automatically filling up my drink for the day I'd sit at my computer and start writing my wife and daughter would leave home for the school drop-off run and it would feel like 15 20 minutes have passed before they come back again I go to that was uh, what happened to school off it's like no no it's now 3 30 and I just got immersed in it Will. I'd lose track of time I lose track of, you know, my wife would say, have you drank anything? Have you eaten anything? So that's kind of how I roll. If I'm in, I'm in all the way. And if I'm not, then, you know, I'm not. And I just think in life, there's a lot of interested people interested in a lot of things. I just find, Will, that the best really only get what they're committed to. So it's, a, it's time we need to get committed to what we're trying to achieve, both professionally and personally, more importantly. That's a good answer, by the way. Um, so I suppose that leads me to my next question regarding you, you talk about communication. When you got into real estate, was that something that you felt was going to be a fit for you because of what you enjoyed, the aspects of communication with people? Yeah, I always loved meeting new people and I was always inquisitive and I was very much at the time not realising it, but I was very much a consultative uh, person I would always ask questions and uh, I'd try and find out what someone's trying to achieve and then I'd, uh, I I figured that if they shared with me what their hopes dreams and aspirations were my job was to see if I could fill it as opposed to trying to you know sell them anything that they probably didn't need so you know I, I learned pretty early on that selling wasn't telling it was asking 
And if you ask the right questions, you'll get enough answers. And effectively, the answers that the prospect, either a buyer or a tenant or a you know, landlord or a vendor, the answers that they give you uh, tell you what you should be saying next if you're really listening. So I found it was a natural fit, but I fell into real estate. I don't think there's too many, unless you're born into a real estate family. I don't think anyone's thinking, oh, I'm going to, I can't wait for school to finish so I can be a real estate agent. I just, I, I fell into it. Luckily I did. And, and, you know, luckily I fell into an environment that was, um, you know, a good family business that were big enough to give me all the opportunities for growth, but small enough to stay very local micro to the marketplace. Mm. And, you know, so I learned pretty much from the early days that this business wasn't telling the prospect anything. It was asking them everything. And if you knew what to ask, that was probably half, you were halfway towards earning the right for their business. It's funny you say that about people not falling into real estate because I was the same. I was, um, my dad told me I had to get into real estate because um, I talked a lot of shit and he thought that was going to be um, a good a good place for me to, um, to go, which ended up being pretty good. But um, I went to a fairly prestigious school in Geelong and I actually got, well, probably five years ago, I got called up from uh, one of the heads of education to say, can I come out and do a talk about real estate as a profession? And I, I was absolutely flawed. I was like, you want me to come out and tell people that are parents are paying 50 to 70 grand a year to educate their kids to go and become doctors and lawyers and da, 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 how to do a two-week degree to become a real estate agent. And they said, yeah, that's where things are going. We actually think it's an honourable profession. And it actually, I was actually really quite humbled by um, the fact that they asked me in the comments. I, I never thought they would ask me to go out there. Well, I love that concept about it's an honourable profession. I mean, I, I think I always had that view and I, I would arc up a little bit, I'll be honest with you, when I used to, people say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a real estate agent. Yeah, oh, really? Okay. And their response was almost like, you know, you, you know you've know, you obviously got the plague or, dare I say it, in this day and age, the virus. But, yeah, you know, and it's like you guys are right up there with used car salesmen. Well, show me the last time a used car salesman took your 10-year-old car uh, you know, took it back to the marketplace and sold it for twice what you paid for it 10 years ago without you having to do too much to it. Um, we're wealth creators, mate. Don't, don't put me in that same category. It's like, yeah. it's pretty offensive. And so I found that um, I changed that emotive response wheel from being offended to I'll just be strategic and say, okay, when you say used car salesman, just give me the comparison just so I'm real clear. And it's like, uh, yeah, well, the difference for us is the car we sell has a voice, a heart, uh, emotions. It's called the vendor. And it says, no, I don't want to be sold for that price. I've actually got a, a different view. So our job's a little bit more involved than you would think. We're the only selling service left, I think, that has to sell a product that's got a voice and an opinion. And even though the value is set by the market, they say, no, I want 10% more than the market. I want 5% more than the market. There's no yep. logic behind it. We have to actually be emotional counsellors, emotional wellbeing coaches. There's a lot more to real estate than just whacking a board out the front and taking names and numbers and open for inspection like maitre d's at a restaurant, mm. saying you can have anything you want on the menu as long as it's passed to come back in three weeks' time, put your hand up at auction. It's not what we do, mate. We do a lot a lot more than that. You know, people used to sort of uh, almost be somewhat disappointed they even made the statement because I, I gave them a bit of a lecture, which is probably <laughs> not the right way of going. But I, I'm passionate about our, our industry. I think it's now only probably just now getting uh, the, the absolute kudos it deserves because we do create wealth for our clients mm. and we do have a unique role where we, we've, we represent the vendor or we re represent the landlord, but we also 
owe a duty of care to the buyer or the tenant or you know every stakeholder. So we're highly yeah. regulated. It's quite crazy, isn't it? But uh, I guess it's the entry level so low. That's the big issue, isn't it? As you said, you do a two-way course and you're earning more than a lawyer or more than a doctor or more than a heart surgeon. You know, so it's interesting when you when you parallel it to that. Yeah, it is, and it's interestingly we don't sell anything we don't actually sell the house we negotiate on the vendor's behalf so we actually don't have a product it's the, just the use of our voice and our personalities and our ability to bring people together that's what we're selling it's, there's no product there and that's no, why so, i hear agents yeah. go i sold a house no you didn't you sold it on behalf of someone you negotiated the outcome you didn't buy the house do it up and then sell it yourself so we don't sell products um, which i find a lot of people don't quite grasp that concept from a real estate agent's point of view well, if you see social media, you know that we don't even grasp it as an, as an industry because you'll see agents, you know, spruiking on social media how they just sold another one, often so many hundreds of thousands above reserve. And I'm thinking, do you know how that's received by the consumer? The consumer is just looking at going, well, first of all, it's the buyer who feels like a goose that they've paid too much. That's the first thing. Second thing is the people who are innocent bystanders who don't really understand the way real estate works goes, well, thank God that vendor went to auction because if they went at a private private for sale price you would have undervalued that by 100 grand there's but you know my analogy for it will is we never see a heart surgeon just coming out of an operating theater with the gown on taking off the gloves and the mask taking a selfie going just saved another one it's like you don't you don't see that do you so you know i think we've you know but we we do we do have to work out what sort of industry we're in and if we're in the service industry then we're really always going to be held in the same light as service providers. I think we are in the skill sector. I do think we've got a, a bit more skill than we probably give ourselves credit for. Mm. But, you know, it's a bit like a flight, an airplane flight. You know, it's a service on a flight. It's really controlled by the cabin crew. And the skilled person on that flight's the captain. The next skilled is the co-pilot, male, female, old or young, or as they have to be in this day and age, we're non-gender specific. But <laughs> ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, in real estate, we've been trying to fly the plane and serve drinks and peanuts at the same time. It's really hard to do that. So I think we we are more skilled than we know. We just don't know how to articulate that as well as we should. And I think once people know why they're valuing us, then we, then we don't get shopped around so much on commission. Then we don't get shopped around so much on price as a commodity. We get valued for the skill set. And that comes from, you know, having more resources to help clients get more resourceful. So, you know, I knew you as a, as a, a high-performing, peak-performing real estate agent. And now you're sort of, you know, aligned with the product that helps people become more resourceful at what they do. So even you know inherently in your own mind that as an industry, we've got to continue to look for the skills that we bring to the table and be judged and valued for that as opposed to the service we provide. Otherwise, if, we, if that's the only way they see us, service as opposed to skills, we're always going to be undervalued, I think. Yeah. You have worked with some of the elite um, in many fields and I've listened to your podcast in the past and you've interviewed many of those Drawing comparisons to coaching and real estate agents, are the communication strategies implemented in sport, uh, are they similar to the ones you implement in real estate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, what separates good from great coaches is the same thing, Will, that separates good from great real estate people or real estate leaders, and that is that they understand that there's not one size fits all, that they don't broadcast on open negotiation 101.1, expecting everyone to tune in there. And if someone's tuning in at 99.9, they just hear static. So what the best coaches do is they know how to communicate across uh, generation next, right, th right back through to generation X and do it in a way where it makes sense. I mean, it's the first time in human history that we've got five generations working in the same work pool. 
you know, from what's going on around the globe at the moment. It's interesting. It's the first time probably we've been back in room with each other too for the better part of a year and a half. Mm. So that ability for leaders and or influencers, and that's what I think real estate agents are. I think we're influencers. I think our ability to find multiple ways to sell the fundamentals we want the receiver to get is really the key. So, you know, I think professional coaches, and I've been around some amazing coaches, Olympic coaches, um, national level coaches, yeah, whether that be Justin Langer with the Australian cricket team, whether that be Brian Gorgian and the Australian Boomers, whether that be Nathan Buckley in the Collingwood Football Club, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter who they are. The thing about those particular coaches that unites every single one of them will is their ability to know before they open their mouth what the outcome they want from that discussion. So they never lead off without knowing where that's going to go. Yeah, so a bit yeah. like lawyers, they never ask a question that they don't already know the answer they want. Yeah. I think coaches are a bit like that too, Will. I think their ability to say, okay, I'm going to really ask and demand more of Will because I know he's someone who can really take that on board. But now with Rick, I might actually back off. I'm going to ask the same thing, but I'm going to do it not in a way that appeals to his ego or his competitive nature because that will actually demotivate him. So it's about knowing what the hot buttons are for each of the people that we work closely side by side with. And then getting a feel for what the stakeholders we interact with every day might be wanting from us and, and pitching accordingly. So the best the best coaches, the best real estate agents are the best communicators. 100% of their success comes from their ability to communicate well. So I can't stress enough how I see the parallels. Yeah, someone like Nathan Buckley could go into real estate and be a superstar, no questions about that. And yeah, there's a lot of media about him at the moment and I get all that. But the Nathan Buckley I first met as a player going back 20 odd years ago to the Nathan Buckley today, mm. you'd like to think that two decades on the uh, years would sort of round out some of the rough edges. There's no doubt about that. But he is still more inquisitive today than he, he probably was as a player. Mm. His ability to chat to young young players being drafted straight out of high school versus guys that are on to their you know, second and third investment properties. And you know, life is changing for them because they're now not just a footballer, but they're actually a father or they're not just a footballer, now they're a husband or you know, they're not just a footballer, they're now a community leader. It's really interesting to see that sort of development. So I think real estate, sport, there's a lot of parallels. And in my humble opinion, the gap is not that big. I think, I think we could really benefit, and I'm, I'm living proof of it. You know, I used to work at the Western Bulldogs in 2003 when we were sort of, you know, five years into our, our real estate ownership of the business. So I was probably identified as a real estate agent working part-time in, in professional sport. Now I'm a part-time real estate agent who works full-time in, you know, professional coaching. So it's, a, it's an interesting sort of transition, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, now, mate, your TED Talk, uh, I've listened to it uh, a number of times, I must admit, um, and I pick something up differently every time, and I have no idea how you fit the content. Actually, yes, I do, because I know you speak twice as fast as anyone else. How you fit that sort of content in it? Was it 15 minutes? Uh, 17 minutes, but uh, and um, they're pretty clear on that. When you, If anyone's ever had any interaction with those on the TED platforms, time is everything, and you've got to be consciously aware of it, and if yeah. not, they'll just... Like the AV just shuts off. You, you, you better get it right because, you know, and I spoke on the day when Nick Brax um, was speaking and an outstanding, you know, speaker in the area of um, mental health and um, and he just said, you know, I just don't know if I can do this. So I said, just talk it like you're talking to me now. We're about to catch a flight. And and that after that night, I still remember, he flew out to Singapore 
Um, I was hitting the airport to fly. I said, when the plane goes, mate, it goes. So just think like you got to catch a flight. Yeah. And he, he talked for 17 minutes too. It was really kind of great. So I think knowing the time is probably the, the, the key point with that, you, that it forces you then to go, if I'm just in an elevator with somebody and I've got, you know, a few, just a few short seconds to, to see if I can make an impact, what would I focus in on? That's what a TED talk is. It's, what, do you, what, do you, what have you learned over two or three decades that you can put into, you know, 20 minutes or what have you learned over two or three decades that you, in this case, put into 17 minutes? So brevity is king. It's not my strong suit, as you know. I like to sort of, yeah. you know, why use three words when 330,000 are available? But, um, you know, it is that three words are better than 33 type mantra and you just hit the uh, hit the high marks, uh, fire all the bullets off as quick as you can and, and, and hope something sort of sticks. Well, I would uh, highly recommend everyone does listen to uh, Rick's TED Talk. We'll put it in the show notes uh, naturally. I feel like um, Tim Ferriss when I say that. <coughs> I, just, I just wanted to drop that in some way, some way, shape or form, and I've managed to do it. There um, you go. At your TED Talk, you spoke about how understanding people and their personalities will help you deeper your connection with them. Um, and you also mentioned that you work on a personality system. Can you run us through the, um, this practice and the ideology behind it? Yeah, so I think, you know, all of us that are listening to this podcast at the moment would be aware there's a lot of psychological profiling that's done in recruiting in this day and age. One of my roles uh, in the AFL, not just at Collingwood, but in uh, I get um, sort of, um, I guess, engaged with different clubs, is to interview young draftees, Will, to see whether what they're telling us is congruent with who they are as opposed to telling us what they think we want to hear is a chance of being recruited. So, um, you know, the old Jerry Seinfeld episode where George Costanza says to Jerry, you know, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it, is something that people can actually beat a lie detector test on in this day and age. It's been proven. I've, I, my brother has been in the police force since 1978. Uh, he's hooked me up to a lie detector test and I've actually been able to tell him that I was born on Mars from Martian parents and my uncle lived on Krypton, Krypton and it, the, the needle never moved. And he wow. just he's just shaking his head going, how the hell are you doing that? And I just said, it's kind of of that belief that if you own the role, that's why movie actors are so good at what they do. It's yeah. because they can just become the character and that's the method. So, uh, but what we tend to find is all the ways that reveal that, you know, whether it be the DISC program, Myers-Briggs or any of those, you know, re really detailed systems will they take way too long to get through i mean you can't use a myers-briggs form or a disc profiling analysis before you go out and meet someone it just doesn't <laughs> doesn't work so i found what works for me is if i can sort of give myself a better odds in my favor i just i just come up with a program that um yeah it makes sense to me and there's i just i'm a very visual person i just put people into colors so there's four colors for me there's red there's yellow there's aqua there's blue red type personalities you know they, they talk very very fast like me they're very clear on what they want. Um, they're going to be influenced by someone who says, look, this normally takes an hour. I've drilled it down to the best 25 minutes I can. I'm still leaving you five minutes to ask me anything. And at the end of it, you can rest assured that I'll have the solution for whatever challenge you've got and I can take care of the whole thing. Red personalities love that. Yellow type personalities hate reds because reds are too full on, too, too direct. Yellows are going, oh, but I wanted more than an hour because they love the interaction. They love the friendship. They speak very graphically and very much use their physiology, their whole body. Yeah, you ask a red how they're doing. Yeah, good. They don't even ask how you are because they don't care. It's, not, it's irrelevant to their needs. They just yeah. want to get going. Yellows want to know, well, how are you? I love the white. That's a lovely white on you. It really highlights your... Like they want to talk like that. So they're very descriptive, very out there. Just think hairdressers. Yeah. Yeah, they're very out there. Uh, 
Aquatype people are very reserved. Some of the best, most amazing people on the planet are aquas. And if you can give them a space and a safe place to exchange information with you, the first thing you have to do is what I'm doing now is really slow it down and really soften it mm. and give them a space in between the information so that they can decipher what I've said. And then will the critical thing with aquas is as they respond, you've got to let them go and it could take forever and you know where they're going, but you can't cut them off because if you cut them off, they'll just go, oh, okay, this is a typical person who just doesn't really want to know what I've got to say and they'll just retreat. So aquas I find are the ones that are interesting, you know, valedictorians across most universities or most learning institutions across the globe will are very red type people, really high achievers, strivers. They really change the world though. If you think about some of the people that change the world, it's the aquas who yeah. eventually find their way, they find a space and they step into it. I mean, we've all got smartphones and in 2017, the app store was empty. It's full today because of a nerd, of an aqua, of someone who was very reserved. So there's that. And then the one that we deal with most in real estate is what I call a blue type personality. Mum, dad, 2.5 children. They understand process. They understand procedure. They love those kind of words. They love agendas. You know, if I go into a blue type personality's home, I'm going with a calendar and an agenda. And if you authorized me to move forward tonight, Here's what would happen next. And I'd show them all the things, all the pieces to the program that lead up to the first open, maybe you know, just down the track. And here's why I think together we can come up with a much better plan because it's not just for sale or auction. We've got so many different ways that we can take your property to the marketplace. Here's something that gives us the value of an auction where we don't cap the price, but it doesn't seemingly give us the stress of what happens if no one bids type scenario. Now, let me talk to you about open negotiate. Blue type personalities want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Reds just go, mate, if that's your analysis, go for it. But I don't need to know how it works. Reds go, I start my car. I don't know how an internal combustion engine works and I don't care. I just want to get it going and, and put it in the drive and floor it. Blues want to know how it works, why it works, why are you recommending that? So, so are we again, talking like engineers, school teachers, accountants? Are we putting them in that basket? Very much so. Any, any linear type people, one plus one equals two. To a red, they're going, how can we make that three? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, always, I think of people in colours, red, yellow, aqua, blue, or coffees. Red's like a triple espresso. Yeah. yeah. So is yellow. Yellow's a real, you know, yellow's a party drink, lots of fun. Um, aquas are like, they're double decaf. In mm -hmm. fact, they're actually probably more like chamomile tea, if the truth be known. They're very, very reserved. And blues are your standard white with two sugars. You know, they're, yeah, they're just very, they know the process and they understand the formula. So it's a, it's a short, sharp way of saying um, I observe people, I listen for cues over the phone if I don't meet them. I'm getting a mental imagery about them. I'm listening for their patterns of language, how they talk, everything you just said about my voicemail message. It's impossible to hear my voicemail message and not think he's a disciplined cat and he's someone who's really valuing time because I'm changing my voicemail message every day. I've done it since 1997. Uh, early days, Will, I'll be honest with you, I might have missed the odd day or two. And I had all my mates making sure that they'd ring in. They'd, they'd say, ah, it's, it's Thursday today and you got your Wednesday message on, you idiot. And I'm thinking, yep. is that where your life is at? Or you've got to <laughs> ring my voicemail message to see if I've changed it. But anyway, since since the odd getting found out, you know, something like 24 years ago, I, I, it's just part of my DNA now. I don't know any other way to do it. It's like, you know, brushing your teeth every day. I change my voicemail message every day. So it's a, it's a thing. But that would be seen as very linear, very 
very blue, very process driven, but I'm mm. doing it to save time, believe it or not, because I'm telling people how I want them to get back in touch with me. Yeah. So if you leave me a message and the best number to call you on after 2.30 this afternoon, see that, that saves me time. It's like, don't we all hate telephone tag? Don't we all hate oh, voicemail? Yeah. So imagine leaving a voicemail that says, hi, thanks for calling Will on this day. Uh, sorry, I've missed your call directly, but I am returning phone calls after lunchtime. So please deliver your name and best contact number between 2.30 and 3.30 or 2.30 and 4.30 or whatever the number is. Yeah. And I'll be sure to be back in touch when I'm back on phones. People then go, oh, okay, well, look, I'm going to, so don't call me. Like they tell me how to get them. You know, we can't even get a call back now. It's yeah. like, but these people tell me, actually don't call me. All I'm after is this. Can you fire that off in an email? Yeah, done. It's like, you know, yeah. most of our day is wasted chasing people and returning voicemail for goodness sake let's just structure it up a little bit differently so anyway, reds yellows you know aquas and blues and as you say in the ted talk I, that's where i spend all my time the title of the ted talk is tune in before you broadcast exactly what we're talking about here today so let's um, try and put that into a real estate perspective the beauty of real estate is we deal with all walks of life no matter where you are um, i'm in geelong and i can i don't want to um, stereotype here but i can I was a Garbo and that was recognized as a horrible job that Bogans do that people don't make a lot of money. So I've got the ability to speak to that basket of people. And then I went to a private school where I have a big community of people that unless you've got a plum in your mouth, you don't speak to them. Um, and, and, and I think part of my, the, my ability to be good at real estate was my ability to, to deal with all walks of life, but I didn't actually know what you've told me. I just intuitively think I knew it. There were the types of people that I really struggled with and they were the yellow types where I just sit down for 90 minutes and drink the chamomile tea and all and do all that sort of stuff with them. And it drove me insane because I think I'm a red type personality, but it was a challenge. And I guess being a red type personality, you like challenges. So I tried to put that into, um, tried to turn that into a positive. How does an agent these days know who they're dealing with in a succinct time frame? Because I imagine you've got probably 30 seconds to work this out. Yeah, I think that's very true, but I think it's even less than that now. The old saying was you get 30 seconds to make a great first impression. It's now all the studies are telling us it's actually under three seconds now because most people have done a digital check of you. They've got some sort of reference point to you. They've probably seen you on some sort of video link somewhere, whether that be on social media, or on YouTube or what have you. So it's it's a great question. And it's something that I'm, I'm now kind of, you know, dare I say, uh, pretty comfortable to suggest I can almost just about read it without even hearing the words. Like I can, I can go to a restaurant uh, and not know the conversation, but I can see exactly what's going on just by observing body language. So it's easier if you're face to face with the people, no questions about that. Will the harder one is over the phone, but you get the cues. So you know, you say hello, this is Rick. And it's like, oh hi, Rick. Um, my name is Jack. Straight away, I'm thinking Aqua. So just slow it up. So the next time I next time I've got a chance to come in, I'll really slow it down. Yep. And I'm hearing for, you know, cues. So, oh hi Will, my name is Rick. I'm just wondering if you can come out and just tell us what the market's doing. We've heard it's pretty good. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about getting our home onto the market. So as I hear that, I hear a really good patter, but I hear a lot of auditory words. We want to hear what you've got to say. We've heard the market's good, and we want to hear what you've got to say about the market. We've been told it's good. Very auditory sort of words. So I'm listening for that, and I'm thinking kind of blue and kind of auditory. It's like, 
Hi, here you go. Oh, we'll, we'll, we've heard wonderful things about very yellow, very gregarious, very expansive with their language. Yeah. We've heard wonderful things about you and uh, love you to show us um, how you take out. We've got some thoughts about, look, look, we'd love to hear what you have got to show us about the very visual, very yellow, very out there. You know, you can get, you can get a feel for it over the phone. Their language tells us everything. I think the limits of our language are the limits of our world. And if we don't quite know what we're listening for, it's going to be very hard for us to know how to put it back to them that way. But my analogy for it is if we're going to a black tie event, the invitation tells us how to arrive, how to dress, what to speak like. Going to Geelong Grammar, I'm going to operate a little bit differently than going to Baronia High, which is where I went. So Baronia High, I think we're number one in the state for truancy. I think we're number two in the state for having most girls under 15 pregnant, which I had nothing to do with because I just concentrated on sport and I was very slow mature with the girls side of things, right? But <laughs> you're spot on going from a, a basic public school into an elite private school. It's really quite funny. You know, do we operate the same way at a funeral as we do at a, at a wedding? And the answer is no. Mm. But sometimes we smell the flowers and say, where is the funeral? When others say, where is the wedding? It all depends on the cues that we're given. So yeah. we need to hear, listen for them. I mean, I think, Real estate professionals, if there's one criticism, I think we're all a little bit guilty of. We stop listening when our lips stop moving a lot of the times. So it's it's kind of important to really tune in and have a listen. So I just listen for a, a pattern of language. How, you know, what words are they using? Because it tells me how they're assessing information. And I'll ask them, can I ask why have you chosen now to make a move? Mm. And I'll speed it up or slow it down depending on what it is. And then they'll, they'll, they'll give me their answer to that with a motivation of why they've chosen now. Well, actually, I haven't chosen now, Will, but my ex-wife solicitor has, so I guess we're moving. I'm thinking, okay, yeah. high motivation there. I'd want to know some stuff, but as I'm asking them questions, they're giving me a lot of a lot of information if I'm really listening for it. And it's yeah. not so much what they're saying, it's how they're saying it. It's always the story. What we know about people, they'll probably share with you who they are authenticity, you know, with authenticity if you actually ask them the right questions. Yeah. Where they're holding back is when they're fearful that, you know, telling the truth is going to hurt them down the track. So I think the first thing we can do is understand people like to deal with people who are just like them or someone they aspire to be. So let's get into their frequency and broadcast accordingly. Because yeah. what we know is if everyone was the same, Will, there would be one radio station, there'd be one TV station, there'd be a 10 cinema complex in Greater Geelong playing the same movie in 10 cinemas. But yeah. there's not. There's multiple movies. There's multiple music options. Some people love jazz. I hate it. It's a lot of bunch of music going nowhere fast, in my opinion. But then, you know, people don't probably like what I like. You like Geelong. I love Collingwood in a football sense. You know, yeah. um, it's just the way that human beings are wired up. But we are in our DNA. We are hardwired to seek out like-minded people. So yeah. if we can become more like the people that they that are inquiring to us, a funny thing happens. They feel more aligned to us. And then what they do will. That I think everyone listening to this would be aware of this sort of story. If you ever go to a dinner function or a party and you sit next to someone who you don't know on your left and right-hand side, the person to your left, you're trying to make conversation, not much is going on. You go to your right and there's a great conversation. The person's asking, what do you do? Real estate. Oh, I've always been interested. Tell me, I'm fascinated by real estate. How does that work? And you start talking to them about real estate. Then you go home and your wife says, or your partner says to you, how's the dinner function? Well, I got the lottery really because the person to my right was amazing. The person to my left was hopeless. What was it about the one to your right that you liked? And when you stop and think about it, what you liked about them was they let you just talk about what you love to do. It's pretty cool. So I think people love to tell you what they want from a real estate professional if it's if they're given a chance rather than us broadcasting about how we rate and rate my agent, how many sales we've just done, how many buyers we've got waiting. That's all just 
that is all just superfluous to the real reality at the moment. It's, yeah. hey, Will, first and foremost, thanks for giving us a call because we know there are a number of options in the marketplace. We don't take it lightly or for granted that you've called us. And this moving process that you're talking about, it's a little bit to do with us, but not everything. It's a little bit to do with me, but not really. It's all to do with you, your wife and your family and what you're trying to do. So give me an understanding. Of what are you trying to achieve with this move? Now I've actually allowed you to start talking about it yeah. and I'll hear who you are, what you're about, what you value and how to pitch something back to you. Will, if I've heard you correctly, your problems have grown as your family has. You don't want to hear the fighting over whose turn it is to go into the bathroom. You actually want three bathrooms as opposed to your one and a half now. You want a bit more space, fearing that if we go into another lockdown and you have to work and, and teach from home, that you've got more space. If I've heard you correctly, you want these things here. Have I got that right? Great. Then if I can show you a way where we can get you seamlessly out of your home that doesn't serve you into one that will, is that something we can do business when we when we meet later on today, tomorrow, whatever? Can we move forward on that basis? Even then, you, you, you're not guaranteed the, the listing, but my view, Will, is we're starting the 100-metre race from about the 80-metre mark. I reckon we've got a head start on our opponents if we've got that right. Yeah. Measure that against, hi, oh, we just want to come and give us an idea on our homes. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, we just sold three, just like we got buyers waiting. It's a hot market. We could probably got the buyer right now. And you start vomiting all over them with a whole lot of information. Yeah. Uh, I reckon they're starting from about the 120 back, back market, to be per perfectly frank. So anyway, it was a long-winded way of saying, ask enough questions, you'll get enough answers, I think. My next question was going to be what mistakes do agents make, but I think you've already um, pretty much answered that. And um, what do you think around the dialogue that agents make? I mean, I hear a lot of people say, oh, to be honest, and straight away I naturally think, well, when weren't you being honest? And, and I don't think it's something they deliberately do. It's a subconscious thing, but it, it, it then subconsciously or even consciously puts into the other person's mind, when, who are you? I don't trust what you're doing. And trust, as we know, is probably the number one thing in, in real estate. So what are some big mistakes that agents make when, when, when communication is happening? Well, I think that. I think you know, just basically saying stuff that opens up so many doubts in the mind of the consumer, which is crazy. Um, yeah, we were taught very early on, I don't know why, but we were taught very early on to say, are you talking to any other agents or are you interviewing any other agents? I remember thinking, why is that even a consideration for, for me to even want to know? Mm. Um, oh, so you know who you're up against. Well, let's just assume that we're up against everybody would be my message. Yeah. But, but I'm saying, well, but what if they were only going to call you and you say, are you talking to any other agents at the moment? Uh, no, we weren't, but should we? Now, now, <laughs> now we're just putting in the mind that they should. How dumb is that? <laughs> so I think our, our broadcast before we've tuned in is a big mistake. That's the first one. I think the second mistake that um, agents tend to probably do, which is, you know, we, we try and be the answer to their prayers will before we find out what they're praying for. So I think it's it's important to what's prompted them to get in touch, or if we're if we're directly, proactively outbounding the connection to try and you know as a lead generation prospecting KPI as an example, there's still got to be a reason why they're even interested in having a discussion with us. So I think it's all about getting into their headspace, get out of our headspace into their headspace to a degree. So the big mistake I see is planting a roadblock that doesn't need to go there. That's the first thing, mm. and. Rather than saying we know we can get them a good price, I think most consumers, certainly in the east coast of Australia, and I think west coast as well. I was on a Zoom to Perth just before jumping on this one. 
I don't think there's a, a seller in the country that doesn't doubt you'll get them a good price. That's not their issue. Their issue is they can't see when the music stops that they'll have a seat to sit back in on. So they can't get back into the market is the issue. Yeah. So I think we've just got to be prepared to, rather than try and be the answers to their prayers, let's find out what they're praying for. And if we can do that, I think that comes from good questioning, qualification. If you know how to qualify, you can discover their dominant motivation for moving. If you know their dominant motivation for moving, now you can push a point of difference. If you've built the rapport and earned the trust and understand their personality profiling, are they red, blue, yellow, aqua, what are they? Mm. Handle any objections they've got along those lines and then give them a pitch. Uh, I think you're, you're probably going to win more than you're going to lose. And yeah. you, know, you and I both know some of the best agents in the country, if not globally. And my son has worked for arguably one of the best real estate agents in the world over in the US. Uh, the best seemingly do the exact same thing. It's not about them. It's all about the consumer. And if they put themselves in that empathetic belief about how can I help this individual here, a funny thing happens, whether it be an 80-year-old lady, as you were mentioning earlier, whether that be someone trying to get into their first home, let out their first investment property, buy their last home or sell their last home. If we're walking, talking, breathing and thinking through their eyes, their heart, their mind, a funny thing happens. We connect deeper, quicker, faster and people i stress again people love to deal with people who are just like them or some of they aspire to be it's a good answer and um if i can add to that something i found that used to work fairly well for me was if there's two decision makers typically they will have different personalities so i'm speaking to rick red personality i'm speaking to mrs rushton aqua personality sits there and doesn't say anything and i just direct all my conversation to you yet when I leave, Mrs. Rushton saying, I don't like him. And straight <laughs> away, right. you're like, oh, I really did because he was asking one of these questions. So it's super important agents out there is to actually ask the same question or even different questions to both people. Because if Rick's saying, if I say, what's your favorite room in the house? And Rick, you go to the study because I can get away and have some peace. And I turn around and say, Mrs. Rushton, what about you? And I include her and she says, I like the living room because the sun comes in in the morning and I can sit and have my coffee and Oh, tell me more about that. And I start to open up the dialogue. Now we're collaborating with everyone, not just yeah. directing it. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I mean, I've been in situations where you go, how did you two get married? Clearly, they're so opposite. It's like opposites obviously attracted. She was pregnant, you weren't, is what I'm thinking, but you can't <laughs> say it. Like, it's just, and mate, I've been in situations where the husband's just channel surfing on TV, got no interest in it whatsoever. So, sorry, how much do you think? yeah okay goes back to channel <laughs> surfing you know it's like seriously how's that happen but i just found that you as you say you just find a way to bring them both into the conversation mm. uh, one of the hardest is when you know you're doing it around meal time where there's kids or animals that's just the classic isn't it, it is. and you've got you know diametrically opposed couple you know one party is you know as you say um, you know, a, a raging red, the other is kind of aqua and you're kind of going and in between that, you're just getting into a groove and then it's mummy, daddy. It's like, ah, geez, who is? <laughs> or, or a dog just wants to come and put his dirty nose right in your freshly sort of, you know, pressed, you know, wonderful sort of um, Hugo Boss suit and you're going, oh, I love dogs. Yeah. Teeth. You know, like it's just kind of crazy, isn't it? But no, you're right, mate. You've got to, again, it's not one size fits all and you can't go one way only. And if you do, you'll get probably two out of 10. I reckon the real estate market is too competitive to just get two out of every 10 opportunities that are coming. You, you have to be like you, yes, authentic, yes, but you can change the approach and picture which you do it at. And that's kind of the message today. Mm. 
Um, now, don't give me the answer you did at the start of this because it won't go very well, but how do you prepare for your presentations? Because I do now a lot of presentations as well, and I'm always intrigued, people in, um, in your game, my game, how do you prepare for your presentations? Well, the first thing I do is I, you know, I ask, if I could fast forward an hour from now, ideally, what would you want? What boxes would you want ticked? So I'll let them tell me what they want. So I did a, a talk today for a company that's um, in a pretty important part of the, of the industry that we're in, which is um, they supply farmers to produce more from their crops. It's a, it's a critical sort of scenario. So I'm saying, what's the issue? Well, the issue is we're okay team. We're, we're, we've been hopeless since coming back into some want to come in, some don't. Uh, people are sending emails and they should be picking up the phone. Uh, if we could find a way we can get them to communicate with each other better, and then that flows onto the communication with every stakeholder. Okay, so now I'll, if I hear this, is this what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Great, I'll deliver it along those lines. And so the good news is if you're known as being a, a peak performance coach or a communication expert, you're only asked to do those sort of things. So it's not like I'm being asked, can you give a talk on the combustion engine? <laughs> no, no, I can't. And it's probably not going to work. But I can talk on these things because I know them. So, I, I, you know, and again, preparation for a presentation, early days, you know, going back to my first back in the mid-90s, you know, we'll prepared, like my first auctions. Mm. You know, I'd run through it the night before. I'd, I'd be really you know, vigorously researching. I'd know the volume, folio number. I'd know the title details all the way back through to who owned it, who was the first. Now it's like, you know, without being silly about it, but I have in the most recent times been sitting on my couch on Saturday getting a Mayday call. Can you get to this joint by 12 o'clock? It's like an hour away and it's just before 11 now and I need to jump in the shower. Yeah, I reckon I could. Um, because I've prepared so well early doors, it doesn't take me as long to prepare so much nowadays and in terms of presentations i'm just thinking what's the ideal outcome tell me what the outcome is that you're seeking and then i'll know how to pitch it together but i'll always pitch it thinking if i was just speaking to a certain audience what would that look like sound like feel like and be but i'd always present it in a way where i know that audience is going to be made up and for particular personality types so i'm going to have to communicate accordingly and you know i may need to slow it down at certain areas when i want to make a really good point i might need to speed it up when i'm talking you know, something that could be seen as a little bit basic or mundane. Um, so I, I think about the, the, the audience and I think about the ideal outcome, but I typically ask the host, ideally, what would you like to achieve from this session? And just once I've got that, I then know. Sounds interesting because you're basically echoing what we spoke about before when we're talking to a vendor. You're, you're basically asking the same question. What, what, do you want to, what do you want to achieve here? This is about you, not me. I'll yeah, do absolutely. my thing. I'll do my thing when I need to, but what do you want from me? Absolutely. Well, I've done three presentations this last week, Will, for three different industries. And I've got to say to you, they all wanted sort of similar things. And I didn't change one slide. I used the exact same slides in three presentations. And I asked them all. One's in the retail space. Uh, oh, sorry, two are in the retail space. And one's in, you know, really macro farming space. And I said to all of them, was that okay? They said, oh, that was better than we thought. And it's like, interesting, give me some feedback. What was good about it? Oh, the way you did this, the way you did that. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. F fantastic. There you go. So I think you and I are probably benefiting from many years of preparatory work on previous presentations. And now we just know the shortcuts realistically. And, yeah. you know, I've been around some pretty good operators, some of the best in the world. And they'll go across different audiences, whether that be Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, Dennis Waitley. And I've seen them just before the presentation, just changing the odd slide here or there, moving some things around. <laughs> and then you look at it and you go, 
that's the third presentation you've done in a day and a half on the similar topic, but with different slides and different stories. That's just magnificent. I love that aspect too, because if you can find new ways to sell old fundamentals, you're probably ahead of the game, aren't you? Yeah, agreed. Now I've got some rapid fire questions that you actually don't know about. So um, you like, are, like are you ready it. with Jeez. the buzzer? Jeez, I better is it, feel the pressure. I'll go get very red is what you're telling me. <laughs> They're pretty easy ones. You'll be able to answer them very quickly because you've prepared over the years, as you said. Okay. So best team building exercise? Uh, I think the best team is, is, is the pyramid. Yep. Good. What's the best TED talk other than your own that you've listened to? Simon Sinek's The Power of Why. Yep. I've listened to it many times as well. Uh, what's your most recommended book and podcast? Most recommended podcast is the, well, the Tim Ferriss project. And, you know, I love Tim's belief about how life absolutely responds to the specific ask and punishes the vague wish. I love that. So, and his podcast is incredibly good. And, um, you know, so it's just lengthy now. You got to get through all the sponsors, but once you get through all the sponsors, <laughs> yeah, I know the, uh, the information is good. I couldn't give you just one book. I've, I've been really fortunate now to read so many great ones. But my, my message, simplistic answer would be any biography of someone who's done it. Yeah. And that could be across any field. I'll read a biography of anyone in any field that's done it. And what you'll find, Will, is you'll find one chapter about success and 11 chapters about the struggle. And I love that. So it would be any book on an autobiography of someone who's done it. Yeah. And I think I know the answer to this one. We're going to ask you anyway. Anywhere in the world, where would you live? Wherever my wife and family is, to be honest. Um, yeah. But at the moment, I'm you know I've been in the city this morning. I've been in the outer east, and I'm I'm sitting in my home office on our farm that we moved into during lockdown. We figured if you're going to be locked down, uh, you must be locked down on acreage. No one can look in uh, that sort of stuff. But in all honesty. Uh, I'm a Melbourne boy. I've had plenty of chances to move into state. I've had plenty of chances to move overseas in some pretty, you know, high-paying jobs. I just don't think I would ever uh, feel um, like I'm home. Um, mm. Having said that, if my wife um, decided that we we're going to move somewhere, I mean, we've been together since 1983. I told her if she leaves me, I'm going with her. So if that happens, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'll be wherever she is. But yeah, I think you know, our son, as I said earlier, Will, in the podcast, he lived in America for two and a half years. It was that we just didn't feel right. You know, there's something that was kind of not right. Yeah. And yeah, we went over three or four times to see him. He came home two or three times, including the 2018 grand final. Let's not go there. Um, so I just think that wherever, <laughs> wherever my family is, I feel more content, to be honest. Yeah, my answer was going to be where you are right now and if it's with yeah. your family. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And the fact that you've moved a few times, is that not saying that your wife is trying to get away, but you keep following her? Yeah, there's a strong chance of that. But uh, we always move when she says this to me. She says, I, I think I found our new house. I said, I didn't know we were looking. I said, <laughs> you know, do, do you like it? Yeah, we love it. Oh, we love it, do we? Okay, it's interesting. So um, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I can honestly say this hand on heart with integrity. Every house we've ever lived in has never been motivated by me. So yeah. um, I just, yeah, we are a team, mate, but we do it her way when it comes to the houses. <laughs> so. Now, uh, we are known as the, well, this is known as the Better Agent Series. So it'd be remiss of me not to ask you, what is your one and final tip to give agents today to become better agents in 2021? Oh, there's no doubt about my view on that. It's the same view I had probably 31 years ago when I got into the business, Will, and that is just keep working harder on yourself than you do at the job of real estate. 
yeah, if you work hard at the job of real estate, I reckon you can make a pretty good income. But if you work harder on yourself, you'll add more value and then you create a lifestyle. And lifestyle is where it's at. You and I are both people who, you know, let's be candid, I can probably earn more sitting in a living room getting an authority sign, which I think I could do okay. Um, but it doesn't fill up my cup. So, you know, I just keep on working harder on myself, develop the skills that will have some equity value played to them. I think if, if I'm an agent, the great news is you don't have to wait a few decades to get good. You can hang out with someone who's been doing it for a few decades, exchange a coffee or a, a, like, like what you and I did. We caught up at a restaurant for a coffee and a bike to eat, I think, yep. in Geelong a few years back. And why would I not make that exchange? It was, um, you know, a 90-minute drive each way. You could say, well, you know, plus the hour there, that's four hours. It's a big chunk. But I learned so much in that environment. Um, so, yeah, I think... Just keep working harder on yourself than you do at your job. If you keep working harder on yourself, you'll develop the skills. And as you develop skills, you become more valuable. Yeah, good. Mate, shameless plug, but um, how do people get in touch with you if they want to uh, speak to you about some coaching roles <laughs> or presentations? Well, I mean, the easiest is just my name, rickrushton.com. That's R-I-K-R-U-S-H-T-O-N, just rickrushton.com. It's not, there's no C, it's not short for Richard. I don't know why, don't ask me, don't send me anything. Um, I just had eccentric parents, 20 years of therapy, never sorted it out for me. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to sort it out for you either, but just rickrushton.com. Um, there you can sort of access a lot of the free stuff that's on the site, Will. You can get in touch. Um, our podcast is on there as well. And, you know, the current one is uh, Cameron White talking leadership from a guy who was identified at 17 years of age as a potential, you know, leader of the state cricket team of Victoria. He got that when he was 21. He's captain his country in one-day cricket. Um, interesting about how he goes about it. That's this week. Um, you know, each week we bring a, a different voice of value, which is the name of the podcast. And so... It's all there on the site. RickRushton.com is the easiest way. I would also recommend uh, jumping on and following Rick on LinkedIn as well. Uh, amazing value that he adds there almost on a daily basis, I believe it is. Um, so I've got a lot of value out of Rick's content over the years, even before I knew him. I knew him before I knew him. Um, but Rick, uh, that's 60 minutes of absolutely unbelievable um, quality information. So I would recommend everyone follow Rick, uh, listen to his TEDx talk. Um, join his community because, as they say, you are the sum of the fine five people you spend most time with. And if you can add Rick to, to that, whether you actually speak to him or not, just keep listening to his content because it's brilliant. So thank you so much, Rick. <laughs>